Welcome to That Stack of Books. I'm Steve Scher. Here's another author interview. Touré is a writer, a TV commentator, a social critic. His last book was I Would Die For You, Why Prince Became an Icon. We talked about a previous book, Who's Afraid of Post-Blackness? What It Means to Be Black Now. It was called a notable book in 2011 by the New York Times and the Washington Post. Touré was a longtime contributing editor to Rolling Stone. His articles have appeared in Time, Washington Post, Ebony, the New York Times. He was host on MSNBC's The Cycle. He now writes for Vice and is working on more books and an upcoming podcast series. Touré had a reality show from 2008 to 2011. You can find it on YouTube. In I'll Try Anything Once, Touré is introduced to a variety of sports and activities and has to master them. The show puts the lie to any sentence that begins, I didn't know black people, and it illustrates the message of his book. We're all unique, made up of our ancestry, our ethnicity, our race, our experience. We are all our own selves. Very, very few people saw that show. <laughs> well, it's on the YouTube. But it was, no, I know. It, it, it's, um, that was, I mean, that was crazy. I mean, like every show I was physically injured i know it's cool <laughs> well what was also cool was you wrote you did that because you also wrote about the the dale Earnhardt thing yeah. and then you also did the, the uh i'll try anything the um yeah yeah the, yeah the, 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 the demolition, demolition derby. derby yeah and what i was struck by with that was how it, you you kind of um embodied the argument that you make about microaggression and the and the power that that um the the white glare and the need for the Teflon shield all mm. in that one incident mm. because you're um you're getting ready to do demolition derby yeah. and you're having to spend half your time thinking about these people are clearly not being happy I mean, with me being there. Well look, the 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 Stats family, S T A A T S, Larry Stats and his family, um wife Marilyn and his whole clan they were extraordinary they were the super most christian loving people that i could have asked for right so they were protective and loving and took me as you know as a son and a brother and all that but where we were i was it was let people let me know that you know, 10 or 15 years ago, if you had been standing here, someone would come by and say, you know, nigger, you can't be here. Move the fuck on. And, you know, I'm like, wow, like how far are we from that period? And what would happen if I didn't, you know, like, well, you wouldn't really want to find out. So that's where we were. Right. And I'm about to go do demolition derby with these sorts of people. Right. Yeah. And you I'm like, physically at risk. am I insane right now? And I'm in the car about to go do the thing. And they announce uh, my name and people are like giving me the finger in the audience. At one point, I was told that somebody went up to my camera crew and asked them, are you with the nigger? Um, so I'm thinking all this and I'm about to go do this thing. <sighs> I, I don't know how I got through that. This is brutal, wild chaos. I can't believe I'm doing this. Then I get caught in the logs again. Jason's still in there, but Larry delivers the final blow and wins the dirt.
Larry won. Yeah! Yeah, that was all right. That was fun, man. That round was fun. Yeah, I'll drop your first round. Thanks, Tell man. Me Thanks, man. Larry, you won. You got fourth or fifth. I got fifth. Get that. Oh, man. <laughs> But it was sort of emblematic of the, argu the argument you make in your book. Yeah. Just well, still. Just, just being just being able and just being willing and able to do anything and engage in anything. There's nothing that uh, there's nothing that I would say I'm not going to do that because black people don't do that, right? Yeah. Like if I want to go skydiving or you know climbing to Mount Everest or yoga or whatever, you know, I mean, I, I've gotten into meditation lately. I don't I don't know. If other black, a lot of black people are doing that, I have no idea. I don't know. I know a lot of my friends aren't talking about that. I'm like, I'm gonna go do that because that's what I want to do. I hope a lot of people are doing it because it's pretty great. But you're also saying in that book, and maybe is this what you're saying? in, in when you're talking about microaggression, are you 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 are saying that look, 40 million black people, 40 million ways to be black. Yeah. 40 million ways also to be an American. Yeah. Absolutely. Why is that? Is that a hard sell? In when you when you talk to white audiences, is that a hard sell? Um, no, I don't think it's a hard sell. I don't think it's a hard sell to black audiences as Either. well. No, it's just something that I wanted to articulate, and I think it's something that some people had thought of, and they were like, "Yeah, duh," but you know, I'm glad mm -hmm. you're saying it. And other people were like, "Oh, I never thought about it that way," but I'm glad you're saying it. I mean, there were people who misunderstood what i meant by post black yeah and they were because they thought you were saying post-racial yeah yeah colorblind yeah yeah which was not what i was talking about and you know they'd get very offended because being black is part of our identity and i wouldn't want anyone to take it away from me either if i could actually identify what it is you would be taking away but i was gonna, gonna just pretend you. that i'm not black anymore like i wouldn't want that i don't want you to see me as colorblind right i don't want what i want is for you and others to not see blackness and downgrade me but i don't want you to not see it because this is part of who i am and part of my cultural legacy and i want to bring this with me that's what kind of a microaggression is, right? You, I, I, I see you. I see you. I hope I don't do it. I know we all carry prejudice, but yeah. I see you and I downgrade you. I don't know you as an individual. I downgrade you. Maybe, you know, we, there are many ways to do that, right? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, when you, when you say something to someone that really sort of cuts at them as, you know, you're just Asian or you're just a woman or you're just black, you know, you're just gay. What was the thing you had with uh, Eric Clapton and the editor? Yeah, I mean, yeah, this, yeah. I'm not this might be more than a microaggression, but yeah, when I was first <laughs> yes. at uh, Rolling Stone trying to come up and uh, I was asking him for a contract. I mean, I'd only been writing there about three years at this point and, um, and you know, I was like, you know, come on, give me, you know, like, give me a contract, let's do it. Because you know, you'd, like, you'd interviewed... Uh, who? Run, DMC Run DMC by then, and uh, they. I mean, yeah, I'd done. I'd done, done some good more pieces. Than that. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, a few by that point. That was only like three, two or three years into my whole Rolling Stone period. And the guy, what he said to me is like, "Well, we know you can write about Run DMC, but could you write about Eric Clapton?" And you know, I found that a terrible example as Clapton comes from the blues. Yeah. So what a black person would have to say about him is more than relevant and could be like actually valuable and really interesting and a different take than a, than a white writer who's less interested in the blues or less 
feeling the blues in a different way might might do but um you know that categorization that assumption right you wouldn't assume that a white writer couldn't write about the black stuff right and if you did even you'd be like well that's the side stuff this is the center stuff so you can do that that's what really matters that all of that is is you know is bullshit it's you know? just so much of our culture though it's everywhere these these attitudes and you know what let me say let me say but yeah i mean like you know there's all sorts of things i mean you have to you have to be very conscious and militate against it in yourself i mean like i think about these sorts of things and uh you know i've committed um sins i've made mistakes i remember a friend of mine uh we were who you know who i love we a group of us were arguing about the the washington football team right and um, the team that will remain nameless. Mm, and uh, this uh, woman friend of mine said that uh, that was her team. And I said, you know, can you name one player? And she was very offended, and rightly so. And I didn't really fully realize what I had done until I saw how upset she was. That, you know, I mean, like... I would sort of fling that at her because she's a, a woman trying to talk about sports. And, you know, I'm making some assumption that she can't name any of the players. And I would never assume that a guy couldn't name any of the players on a team he said he liked. That was totally wrong. And, um, you know, and, and, and it sort of made me sort of open my eyes and think a little bit more about my behavior and the things that I do. All right, I gotta ask you. I, she's gonna come. Yeah. In, she's gonna come in and take me out. So I, yeah. here's my last thing. Yeah. Um, you got married. Yeah. To a woman of Lebanese descent. Yeah. And the New York Times reported that you had said, "Well, you know, when we have kids, better these kids are gonna have to be raised African American. They have to know African American culture." Yeah. And she said, "These kids are gonna have to know Lebanese culture." Yeah. Um, that that seems like a great and also mind opening moment. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was, and you know, I think about their, uh, yeah, they're bicultural, absolutely. I mean, you know, the Lebanese side is a little bit at a disadvantage, right? Because black culture is all around them. Well, they live in New York. They live in Brooklyn, and just sort of the 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 dominance of black culture in America and in their lives, in terms of what I bring into their lives. You know, we listen to the the Kanye album, and we listen to Nina Simone, and. You know, we listen to what, Miles Davis and dance hall and whatever. And, you know, so I mean, like they get a lot of black culture in their lives from me and they will continue to get that as we go forward. The Lebanese culture is a little bit harder to access. Right. My wife can bring in her food and she can bring in her stories and she can bring in her traditions. But it's not something that you can, you know, work with all the time. But my kids are still babies. They're eight and seven and. So how do you answer this question for them? Because this is the question you asked in your book. How do we create more Barack Obamas, proudly black and intellectual, and set extraordinarily high goals without fearing that race will keep them from achieving those goals? I mean, you must be raising your kid with kids with those attitudes, and yet they're going to need that and, Teflon shield. And yet my kids still aren't president. Great. Thanks. <laughs> You're making me feel guilty. They're, they're eight and seven. They still haven't gotten into Harvard. What are you doing with your life, man? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Do you have kids? Do you have kids? Oh, yeah. And I think about How don't, many kids do you have? Two. And they're adult men. You know, at least at this stage, at eight and seven, <laughs> we're just trying to get through the day. 
and get your shirt. Eight don't wear seven, your shirt yeah. backwards yeah. and you know whatever. <laughs> it you know it's it's still baby stuff. Um, you know we're still. I mean, you know, race is mentioned occasionally here and there when they ask questions. But, you know, my son came home and said, you know, what is uh, he saw a sign that said, you know, I can't breathe. And so I had to explain to him what that meant. And as I was as this is like a year or two ago, as I was explaining it, he says, uh, I realized he's not fully understanding what I'm saying. And I'm like, you know, well, what is a black person? And he says um, that he doesn't know. So I'm like, I'm like. I'm like, you know, so I'm like, what is a black, so a black person like Barack Obama and LeBron James? And he goes, okay, I got it. And he goes, Kevin Durant, yes. And Tom Brady, no. Touré, his latest book is about Prince, I Would Die For You. His previous book, Who Is Afraid of Post-Blackness? What It Is Like to Be Black in America Now. That was an excerpt from the interview I conducted. Touré was in town as signature speaker at the University of Washington's lecture series, on race and equity. To hear the entire interview, why don't you search for Touré at length with Steve Scher. And thank you for listening to That Stack of Books. Nancy Pearl and I will be back at the Bryant Corner Cafe this Tuesday, April 19th at 3 o'clock. We're going to talk about books that make us happy. Seems like a nice idea for spring. Why don't you drop on by? Bryant Corner Cafe is at 65th and 32nd in the Ravenna Bryant neighborhood of Seattle like to see you there, have you sit at the table, weigh in on some of the books you're reading, the ones that make you happy. You can also follow us on Facebook, That Stack of Books with Nancy Pearl and Steve Share. There you'll find out information about our upcoming recording sessions. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at That Stack. And of course, you can follow Nancy Pearl on Twitter at Nancy underscore Pearl and me at Stephen underscore Share, S-C-H-E-R. Enjoy the next book that's on your stack.